Law of Self-Defense content you are about to enjoy is presented for general educational purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice. If you are in need of legal advice, consult competent legal counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Welcome to our ongoing coverage of the Minnesota murder trial of Derek Chavon over the in-custody death of George Floyd. I am attorney Andrew Branker for Law of Self-Defense, providing guest commentary and analysis of this trial for legal insurrection. Before we dive into the substance of today's content, if you are among the thousands of folks new to me and my firm, Law of Self-Defense, I'd like to offer each of you a complimentary copy of our best-selling book, The Law of Self-Defense Principles, a plain English explanation of use of force law for free. That is normally the book's $25 plus shipping and handling, but if you'll just cover the shipping and handling cost of getting the book to you, will cover the $25. If you're interested, and I hope you are, you can just point your browser to lawofselfdefense.com slash free book. Okay, so today begins the ninth day of the prosecution in the Chauvin trial, presenting their case in chief to the jury. And from the perspective of this small town lawyer, things don't appear to have been going well for the state so far. Indeed, things appear to be degenerating for the state and badly. Followers of this trial will remember how the state began its narrative of guilt to the jury. Lots of emotion, sorrow over the loss of George Floyd, a man struggling with demons but dearly loved by his family and community. We had an entire series of bystander witnesses still exhibiting the shock a year later of having watched Floyd apparently die in the street. Many of those witnesses openly sobbed and cried on the witness stand, some to the point where the court had to be recessed to allow them to recover and continue their testimony. Powerful stuff on an emotional level. But eventually, the state ran out of sobbing and crying bystander witnesses, and the prosecution's narrative was obliged to begin talking about facts. And the apparent trend to my eye is that the more the state talks about facts— the more their narrative of guilt begins to closely resemble the defense narrative of innocence. From the state's telling, fentanyl had nothing substantive to do with Floyd's death. Sure, Floyd was an addict, but that wasn't a factor to which we should attribute his death, but merely another reason to sympathize with the struggling Floyd, who was, after all, still a loved human being despite his addictions. Don't pay any attention to the drug narrative. That's not what killed Floyd. Rather, what killed Floyd was Derek Chauvin's blood choke, knee to Floyd's neck. Or maybe it was a respiratory choke delivered by Chauvin's knee to Floyd's neck. Or maybe it was mechanical asphyxiation resulting from the pressure applied by all three officers holding Floyd prone. Or maybe it was positional asphyxia because they failed to put Floyd in the recovery position. Or maybe it was that the officers should have started chest compressions on the handcuffed, huge, and just violent Floyd before EMS showed up. Or maybe, or maybe, or maybe, but does it really matter? Chauvin's knee, excessive force, not a trained technique. Unfortunately for the state, many of its own witnesses, especially its own use of force and medical witnesses, whether existing Minneapolis Police Department trainers or well-paid expert witnesses from out of town, have testified in ways that substantively undercut that narrative of the state. So far in the state's case, we've heard the state's own witnesses and experts testify that Chauvin's knee was on Floyd's back and shoulder blades, permitted, not his neck. We've heard them testify that not only was Chauvin's force not excessive, he would have been privileged to use more force and declined to do so, a choice they characterized as de-escalation. We've seen photographs from MPD training materials showing officers being trained to place their knees on suspects in exactly the manner Chauvin had placed his knee on Floyd. 
None of that can be said to buttress the state's still vague and ambiguous narrative of guilt. Even now, nine days in, we still don't have an actual medical opinion of Floyd's cause of death other than cardiac arrest induced by apparent asphyxia. Was that asphyxia caused by the officers charged in this case? Perhaps. Alternatively, is there an equally or even more likely explanation for Floyd's death? Perhaps the astonishing high levels of fentanyl in his system and the fentanyl discovered eventually in both the Mercedes SUV Floyd was driving and the squad car from which Floyd achieved his violent escape? After all, how does fentanyl kill? By depressing respiratory function. That is, by chemical induction of asphyxia, which eventually, of course, will result in cardiac arrest, which is how Floyd died. The more the case turns to drugs, not in the hypothetical sense of Floyd's generalized and genuinely tragic lifelong struggle with addiction, but in the specific sense that his body was full of a drug whose lethal effect was cessation of respiration, asphyxia, the more reasonable doubt is raised about the state's claim that the causal factor in Floyd's death was the officers charged in this case. Yesterday, we saw the state compelled to begin presenting witnesses. Again, all state investigators or scientists or private scientists paid by the state to bring their testimony to their case in chief. And those witnesses provided concrete, investigative, photographic, forensic, and chemical testimony about the lethal fentanyl found in both Floyd's own vehicle and the squad car he fought his way out of. All of that moves the collective narrative away from Chauvin's knee as a cause of Floyd's death and towards Floyd's poorly made decision to hide his toxic drugs from police by ingesting them as being what killed him. Soon, perhaps today, we'll start hearing from the experts who will testify not just about the drugs found in Floyd's vehicle and the squad car, but about the lethal levels of those drugs found in Floyd himself. And that can only move the narrative of cause of death further from Chauvin's knee and closer to Floyd effectively killing himself with a lethal overdose of fentanyl. And that can only raise even further reasonable doubt. Now, juries are always dangerous and unpredictable things. And as a professional, I know better than to place a wager on what a verdict might be. That's even more so the case when we have the dynamic of mob violence, rioting, looting, and arson hanging over this case and a government unable or unwilling to meet its fundamental responsibility of securing the safety of its citizens and their property. So there's no way I'd be so bold as to say an acquittal in this case is certain or even likely. But on this ninth day of hearing the state makes its best arguments, the prospect for acquittal looks more, not less, likely each day. That said, no one can know yet what this new day will bring from the state's continued testimony of its witnesses and experts. Perhaps today will be the day that the state progresses closer to, rather than further away, a compelling narrative of Chauvin's knee as the cause of Floyd's death. The best way to find out, of course, is to partake of our live coverage of today's trial proceedings right here with our live video feed and blogging throughout the day followed by our end-of-day wrap-up of legal analysis and commentary of the day's testimony this evening. So, folks, until next time, I am attorney Andrew Branker for Law of Self-Defense, providing guest commentary and analysis for legal insurrection. Stay safe.